This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Laura from AJ Bell and I'm joined by Dan from Shares. Hi. So this week we're talking about how markets are doing in the final days before the election, the big personal finance changes coming to you in 2020, whether value investing is dead and revealing this year's hot metal. So let's take a look at the markets this week. Um, There's been 57 stocks on the London Stock Exchange have risen by more than 10%. I thought that was quite interesting. In a week? Yeah. Oh, wow. I think if you, I guess you go back to what you get on cash in the bank, one or two percent in a year. Yeah, ten percent um, a week is pretty good, isn't it? I'll take that. Um, so the highest amongst the larger companies was Dunelm, so that sells quilts and duvets and stuff. My mum was raving about Dunelm the other day. I don't know. I've never been in. Never no, been I've never shop. been. She says that I have to go immediately. So I ignored that, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it shares are up twenty nine percent in a week. Simply put, Platt's statement says our new website works. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I think it's most people are so fearful of new IT projects that they think everything will just fall over. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a bit of a strange reaction. But um, who who knows? Maybe I'm I've just not appreciated the importance of a new website. Maybe 2020, we're just going to see all companies putting out statements saying our website works yeah. and seeing if they get a similar bounce. <laughs> so the worst performer of the big companies was Tullow Oil, uh, that downgraded production guidance, parted ways with its director and suspended the dividend and poor old shares are down 65% in a week. So oh, wow. so I guess you can see the flip side of it. If you're getting excited at the start of this podcast about how much you can make in the stock market, it's a good reminder about how much you can actually lose as well. Um, so Ted Baker had yet another profit warning. Um, chief exec is now gone. And this is the guy who actually replaced another person, another chief exec earlier this year. Um, they had some problems with trading and they've overstated the value of their inventory and the new CEO was the finance director at the time that that was happening so I guess it's no surprise that he's he's no longer there um, and actually now you've got an activist investor Tosca fund has taken um, just over a five percent stake after the share price plummeted so uh, I guess what people are wondering now is uh, Tosca fund going to push for big changes or is someone simply going to make a takeover offer because this share price has absolutely been obliterated this year and I guess either option could be good for existing investors who are still in the in the Shares, right? Yeah, well, I mean, if you've been in the shares for a while, you would have, you, you know, you will be sitting on quite a big loss depending on you bought. But uh, I think the shares were down about 80 odd percent so far this year, so quite damaging. So, now, Laura, you need to go and buy some more products from Ted Baker. I don't, know I don't think your... I've ever bought anything from Ted Baker, and I'm not, I don't, what is their target market? I feel like I should be their target market, but I've never bought anything like I, that. I, I cannot give you that answer, I'm afraid. Well, do more research and come back next week, please. <laughs> um, and in in the US, I noticed there was a rise in short positions on American Airlines. So this is when people are betting that a share price will fall. And if the share price does fall, that they will make a profit on it. Um, and I thought I'd bring this up because at the weekend, I was watching the James Bond film Casino Royale, and which... Its plot is um, very much linked to this story. It's betting on airlines share prices falling. I just it thought I'd is, just isn't it? Throw that in in case there's any James Bond fan out. Okay, there. great reference <laughs> to a film that's been out for a long time. Nice and topical. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and in the funds world, um, Invesco and one of its fund managers, Mark Barnett, have been fired from running Edinburgh Investment Trust because they've been delivering underperformance for 
too long, according to the board. Um, so I think you're going to find more of this. Investment trusts have the power to sack their fund manager if they're not doing very well. Interestingly, actually, I was looking at data for this today off the back of the um, Edinburgh Investment Trust news. So this year, four um, managers have been fired from investment trusts, and that compares to last year where only two were. So I think we're starting to see maybe that could potentially be a market conditions thing because three of those four that were fired are value UK investors, which is a style that's been out of favour for a bit and we're going to talk about a bit more in a minute. But maybe it is a sign that investment trust boards are quicker to act? Yeah, I think since the embarrassment of um, to investors of what happened with Neil Woodford's funds and one of them was an investment trust, I think... Boards, I think about their reputation a bit more, I think, that they they mustn't be seen to be doing nothing. They've got to put pressure on the fund manager to do something. So um, there's another Invesco product, uh, invest, uh, Perpetual Income and Growth, where the chairman's already come out and said that the board's sensitive to shareholder concerns about weak results and it's monitoring what's going on. But said that they wouldn't make a switch before the general election or before the end of the year, which was interesting, I thought. Yeah, so I mean, I think they're... they're I guess they they're looking. They want to not be seen as if they're not making quick decisions, but clearly that's that's definitely on the agenda. And there's another one, Aberdeen Standard Equity Income Trust, where it's described its 2019 performance as a considerable disappointment. Well, you know, I would have one would thought that. So that might not a good report card, is it? No, not at all. Um, and so just finally, obviously on 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 the election. Point. We're talking about markets and what's happening just before the election. So we're recording this just a couple of days before the election result comes out. Um, the latest polls were suggesting a smaller Tory majority. So that's that's had a sort of triggered a bit of a wobble in the pound, and the FTSE 250 index has taken a bit of a, a sort of a tumble. So we're actually going to do a special podcast straight after the, sort of the votes are counted at the end of the week, looking at what the result means for your finances and markets. So um, you're getting an extra bonus podcast this week. So it's make like sure. a Christmas gift. Yeah. So we'll, we'll like the worst Christmas <laughs> gift ever. <laughs> so yeah. So we'll, we'll 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 come back to the subject of markets and elections and finances later this week. And so a couple of weeks ago, we caught up with well-known fund manager Alistair Mundy, who runs Temple Bar Investment Trust and Investec UK Special Situations Fund, among others. Um, and we wanted to talk to him about his outlook for the market, whether value investing is dead and why he's a fan of banks. So let's take a listen to that now. So we're here with Investec fund manager Alistair Mundy, who's best known as a value investor. So Alistair, it might help some of our listeners if you could give a brief description of what value is. Yeah, the way I think of value investing is, is value investors pick up the, the superficially cheapest stocks. So, for example, those stocks with the highest dividend yield. And historically, that, that's been a sensible way to invest. Uh, but, but the issue is you only get a, a high dividend yield if, if the company has got a perceived problem. So you've, you've got to have done your work and be, be comfortable that this company is going to recover at some time in the future. I always talk about looking at other people's dustbins for our buy ideas. You're, lo- you're looking for stocks that have fallen and therefore they're, they're, they're valuations have become cheaper and that's the opportunity for a value investor. So you described it a bit as looking at other people's bins. What's the best thing that you found in other people's bins? Um, well, it's interesting. You find a combination. You find some rubbish in people's bins, um, which, which, and most of the time, that's what people throw away. You're, you're looking for stuff in there that could, could just, um, it, that is perceived to be um, rubbish, but, but has been thrown away by accident. And that can, that can just 
be across all sectors. It, it can be any sectors, any markets, any individual company. Um, it's just a matter of, of look, looking at each individual company, saying why does everyone, why has it been thrown away? What's everyone hate about it? And uh, you know, could could people come back to love it again? Was it thrown away by accident by your kids, effectively, you know, or did you, or did you throw it away when you you, you sort of uh, thought you're throwing something else out? So the whole process is is can it come back to be re reloved by others? So there's increasing talk about how value investing is coming back into favour. Now we've lots of people have said this before, and sort of the hopes have been dashed as the, 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 the sort of recovery trend didn't last very long. Do you think there's enough evidence at the moment, Sajay, sort of suggest that? It's different this time. Yeah, and I've, I've written a few of those articles myself in the last few years. The, the, the worst of which is when I stood up a, a, a presentation. I said, if the if the value recovery finishes today, it will be the shortest value recovery of all time, at which point it immediately stopped. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's been lots of false dawns. Um, I, I think the biggest boost for a value, long-term value recovery will be bond yields going up. And bond yields are clearly now very, very low levels. So I think I've got the odds on my side there. And I think bond yields could go up for two reasons. One, because inflation could pick up. And I, I don't think inflation is as dead as people um, assume. And secondly, just because there's a lot of bonds to be sold. So there are more sellers than buyers and that pushes yields up. Why should there be lots of sellers of bonds? Because governments are taking on more and more debt and need to finance that. Um, so I, I, I really do think the, the, the obituary writers of, of value investing have, have got a little bit carried away and a little bit excited. And you know, I, I think we will have our day in the sun again. And so when you're actually kind of practically researching companies and looking through things, do you always go and meet um, company executives, chief executives, or do you prefer to do it from a kind of data spreadsheet point of view? Yeah, I, th I think if you do go and see companies, you, you, you bring your own biases to the business. If you, if you go and see a company in, in, in their factory or whatever, I don't even know what a ball bearing looks like, so I don't know if I, I don't know if I could distinguish a good one from a bad one. If they come to you, you know they're they're trained to present, they're trained to give you all the good lines, and they're trained to laugh at your jokes, and they're and they're just they're charming people, and and so it, it's it's not really, it's not really a fair fight, I think a lot of the time. Um, they won't necessarily ask your questions truthfully if they don't want to. They've got control of that. So we look at what they do rather than what they say. We look at their history. Um, the, you know the um, we we think we can find out much more about them from looking at reporting accounts from from asking them questions and and so yes we, we we do meet them but even when we meet them and we we ask much more about the past than about the future we, we're trying to perhaps understand uh, boring things like accounting policies or trying to make sense of, of certain numbers that, that, that they've issued in the past so you, I know in the past you've talked about being a bit of a fan of the banks um, even though many of them sort of seem to be struggling to improve net interest margins, they've all got sort of um, massive amounts of staff, very complex businesses, clunky old IT systems, and they've got to get over those challenges. So, what is it that excites you about that sector? Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not here to sort of disagree with each of those negatives. I, I think, and I don't even know if I'm excited about the future. All I want them to be is dull and boring. And I think there's a great chance of them being dull and boring because they they did. They were so the opposite of that 10 years ago. Um, they were lightly regulated. They were very aggressively managed. They had very weak balance sheets. And I think that, to a certain extent, has, has been sorted out there. It's new management. They're much more highly regulated. They've got strong balance sheets. And they're just not in the market for doing so many stupid things um, because they've got a corporate memory that tells them if you do stupid things, bad things happen to you. So I just want them to um, just... To, and, and what they're doing is, I think, low-risk lending, look, making sure that their balance sheets are strong. And therefore, if they can just generate a stable level of profits and 
pay those profits out as high dividends. I, th I think that would win them some fans amongst investors and lead to a re-rating. Um, so it's just really the fact that I think investors hopefully will come back to realise they're not the, the incredibly high-risk beast they were a decade or more ago. But because you're kind of digging around in other people's bins, like you say, you end up investing in some companies that you'd have to be quite brave to invest in or are quite tricky times for the company. So yes. Marks & Spencer is probably one recent example. So yeah. how do you kind of hold your stomach through mm -hmm. that? And, and how do you know when to sell as well? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the first point is we, we have to accept we're not always going to be right. So that you, you never get certainty. In the same way that growth investors pay a very high price for those companies and can be completely wrong. Um, so some of Marks and Spencers, especially I've probably lived and worked through about five Marks and Spencer recovery stories, all of which have sounded exactly the same. Um, and, and so it, it's, a, it's a question of saying, well, are the, are the management really delivering? And I think with, with MS at the moment, uh, the new management led by Archie Norman, the chairman, um, you know, he's, he's come and he's done a rights issue, a dividend cut, a JV with Ocado, he's sacked two finance directors, two head of clothing. He's not going to die wondering about this. He's really, he's really going for it. He understands and he's called Marxism as a burning platform and he understands a, a significant number of things have to change. So yeah, it's, it, it doesn't say my job contract, I, I, I sleep well at night or, or, or it's a lot of fun. You know, some of these things do go wrong or they're bumpy rides. Um, but we, we, we like to think the odds are on our side. But, but that's why we buy 35, 40 stocks. We don't just have a one stock portfolio because we, we realise things happen and we, and we do make, make wrong decisions. Um, but where would you draw the line? What wouldn't you invest in? <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I, I think we're looking for, it's a continuum. We're, we prefer simplicity over complexity. We're not trying to show we're cleverer than anyone else. We're not trying to show um, that we, we understand things better um, or, or, we, or we've got a, a, a better stomach for, for problems. Um, but sometimes things come together where if it's management we don't really trust, if it's a company with too much debt, if, if their structural problems just look too tough or if it's just a t too complex a business but as I say we can't we don't look at uh, we can't have a give you a list of a hundred companies we'll always invest in and a hundred we'll always avoid but they're the sort of factors where we're always thinking about and the worst ones are the way where you get some of all those factors coming together um, which it, it tends to get really ugly um, so yeah I think I think simplicity is is, is the is the key word I, mean, I think for all, for all the, the people, perhaps, if they looked at your top holdings and they think, okay, you do have some companies in there which perhaps have got quite a few troubles. But actually, one of your funds, Temple Bar Investment Trust, um, if you look at the performance stats, that's beaten the market this year. So, for, you know, everyone's saying that Value Investor's dead. Um, how have you managed to beat the market? Obviously, what's been the key drivers there? Yeah, you sound a bit surprised. Um, yeah, <laughs> I... Um, it's a good question and it, it's an interesting question because we didn't perform too well in 2018 and um, you, you, you get your attribution from 2018, you look at 2019 and it's, it's, it's just some, uh, it sounds really glib, some stocks have worked well for us, but this year we haven't had too many underperforming stocks and sometimes it sounds like a long time, a 12 month period, sometimes it's, it's, it's frankly it's just, it's just luck. Um, our, our stocks, for whatever reason, have, have worked for us this year. If, if you can avoid bombs and avoid disasters and profit warnings, that, that really helps. And yeah, just, just one of those years, years where um, I, I don't think it's been a particular theme for us. The, we've had quite a lot of domestic exposure um, and some of those stocks have held up well. Perhaps we've avoided certain stocks like tobacco stocks and mining stocks, which, which haven't done too well. Um, so it's, it's, it's no sort of it's not many big move, moving stocks which have really contributed. I think I think just to, to 
general portfolio on the whole um, has, has, has done all right. Great. Alistair, thank you ever so much for your time. Great talking to you. Thank you very much. Hopefully you enjoyed that. And we're looking at doing more fund manager interviews um, next year. So if you have any suggestions of people that you want to hear from, then get in touch. So, Laura, you've been looking ahead to next year already. At what big changes are going to hit our pockets? Next yeah, I'm done with 2019. <laughs> I'm on to 2020. So what is, is 2020? Is it going to be good? That's what we want to know. Is it going to be good? I rarely come with good news, do I? Um, so... Yeah, I've summarised all of the big changes that are going to be happening next year. Um, but I'll go through some of the bigger ones. So landlords are going to be paying more in taxes. Um, so there's a few changes that coming in that affect them. So we've gradually seen the amount of mortgage tax relief that people can use. So this is basically where previously landlords could offset their mortgage costs against the profit that they get from rent and they would only pay tax on the balance. Over the past four years, it's been or three years, it's been dialing down the amount that they can do. And now from April next year, that completely wipes out. And so it means that um, higher rate taxpayers, basically, who are landlords, are going to be paying more taxes from that point. Um, and there's also some other changes that are coming in that will affect people who are renting out a property that they previously lived in. So there's some changes, and there's more on this on, on the website. Um, but basically, second homeowners will face higher taxes because of certain tax reliefs that they were allowed to use before to set against the profits that they might have for capital gains tax. Um, some of those tax reliefs are being removed in April. So some people are actually predicting that there's going to be a bit of a, for people that wanted to sell those properties, there's going to be a bit of a rush now to sell them before that April deadline. It's quite interesting because if you go back a few years, so many people are talking about buy-to-lets being a great way to make money for the long term but it's just you know, it's becoming much harder isn't it for anyone wanting to get involved in that industry um and for people with big i guess landlords with big portfolios so they're, they're yeah, they're finding it much more harder, harder life, isn't it? Yeah, and I think I think that's been the government's intention, basically, to to increase taxes on those people so that it makes it harder to get into it. And I think more what it's cracked down is the kind of casual landlords, so people that kept hold of their home and bought another one. Um, those people, I think, for lots of them, it's no longer viable. If you own a massive portfolio, you could own it within a company and probably avoid quite a lot of these tax breaks. But other things that are happening next year, one that affects far more people, rail fares are going to increase, so they're going to rise by two points. 7% in January so that means that if your season ticket runs out then you probably want to get ahead of those price rises but on the flip side broadband is going to get cheaper so anyone who's got a broadband contract who's now out of contract basically so you know you sign up you get an initial 12 month bonus rate or whatever, cut price rate, um, and then you go onto the standard tariff. From next year, the regulator, so Ofcom, is bringing in more rules that mean that um, broadband providers have to cut down the cost of those and offer up better offers to those people. So that's good. That's good. If you think about how many people in this country now have broadband, um, I'm sort of, sort of still waiting for this debate about what, what do you do with a, the landline phone? Just want to get rid of it. I don't have one. just don't have anything plugged in. But you're still paying for. I know it's really still annoying. Still paying for it, aren't you? I guess you know at some point you you don't want to be paying for it. If you're not using it, you shouldn't be paying for it. I yeah, think, I think that's got to they've got to look at that. The the, the powers that be have <laughs> to. If you're listening, powers that be, please look yeah, at that. <laughs> yeah, please address this situation. Um, and graduates are going to get a boost to their income as well. So from April, the amount that you can earn before you start repaying your loan increases. Um, so you need to earn twenty six thousand five hundred and seventy five pounds before you start repaying your loan so that's good um 
it actually only equates to, for someone earning above that amount, it equates to an extra £76.50 in their back pockets over the year. I mean, that's good. That's really good. I mean, that's still better than nothing, isn't it? Mm. And inheritance tax. People can leave more money from next April uh, without having to pay 40% inheritance tax. So the UK's most hated tax, even though it's only paid by a very small number of people. Um, so the residence nil rate band, which is the new tax break that you're given if you leave your main family home to certain people, um, that's been increasing over the past few years and it will go up to £175,000. So this means for a couple, if you use your existing nil rate band, a couple can now leave a million pound property free of inheritance tax. Wow, very yeah. nice. Good. I didn't know the main changes. Yeah. Some good, some bad. Such is life. <laughs> <laughs> so philosophical. Now, Dan, you've got some news about metal, and I feel like if you're going to start talking about Metallica and Iron Maiden, I should probably leave now. I would love to do an extended podcast about Iron Maiden and Metallica. I'm busy that day. Um, But I presume there may only be a very small percentage of our audience who share my enthusiasm for this subject matter. So I won't. Instead, I'll talk about Palladium. Oh, I don't know if that's more interesting. (laughs) I think you're going to have to win me over here. (laughs) So it's basically bad news if you drive a Toyota Prius or a Lexus. Um, Hybrids are major targets for thieves wanting to take your catalytic converters. And this is all because of the massive rally in the palladium price. Wow. Yeah. So... This year, palladium has gone up 50% in value. Um, So this week, it's just hit a record high of $1,900 an ounce. So it's a near fourfold increase since the start of 2016. Now, for commodity price movements, this is... This is very, very unprecedented movements. How many people actually invest in it? Because we obviously hear of a lot of people investing in gold, but how many people would actually be thinking about having... Palladium. In Palladium. Their well, you can get um, sort of tracker funds that that would track it, or there are some miners. Some of the big miners are producing it. So yes, it, it, you're probably right. It's it's from an investment perspective. It's it's not very mainstream, but I think it's quite interesting in terms of if you follow commodity price movements, or um, you know, increasingly I'm seeing, I'm hearing, reading these stories about having the, the catalytic converters being stolen from cars. That seems mad. How do you get a catalytic converter out of a car? I don't know. Apparently, it takes sounds like the start to a joke. It takes three minutes to get to take one off. Apparently, oh. so there's, there's little gangs going around doing it. So um, the number of uh, catalytic converters stolen the f- first six months of this year, nearly twice that stolen all of last year, um, mm-hmm. and I guess. These figures were done a few months ago, and, and since then, Palladium's rocketed up even further. So um, I, I guess it's, it goes up. And, the, and kind of the reason why the hybrids are uh, particularly targeted is that they've got two sort of power sources, so electric or, and, and petrol or diesel. So the catalytic converters are used less frequently to process these sort of pollutants, these sort of the nasty gases that can come out of cars. So the metals are less likely to corrode, therefore they're worth a bit more. Oh, so, that is interesting. Yeah, so the, so the the thieves basically get them and they sell them to illegal scrap dealers. So, um, yeah, not not very good. So I guess the question is, why is the price going up? Um, it's very Do you simple. want me to ask you that question? Well, that's an interesting question. <laughs> no. no. I'll, so why is the price going up? Oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> it's because there's more demand than supply. Um, so in Europe and Asia, vehicle... 
um, well, car makers, I should say, are going through tougher inspections. Um, they're opting for higher palladium content in, in catalysts. Russia's got this strategic stockpile, which has been um, slowly running out, um, and China's been introducing uh, or going to introduce nationwide emission standards next year, which is also driving up demand for palladium. So I had a look at um, what some of the sort of the investment banks are predicting. Where could the price go next year? Um, so one of them, UBS, reckons it will hit $2,200 by the end of next year. They reckon it will be the, the ninth straight year of a market deficit. So this is, you know, again, this is unprecedented stuff in the commodities market. But um, Good news for miners that strike on it though, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, you know this is great because it, you know, in a, in a situation where people are worried about a slowdown in the global economy, um, commodity prices have been quite volatile. Not sure if and, and things like the trade war as well. So the concerns about how much quantities will China be buying from the rest of the world and, and so on. So it's actually having um, a quantity which is still racing up in value and is predicted to keep going um, perhaps would offset some of the other weaknesses that some of these miners are seeing. But, you know, it, when you get high prices, it'll, you know what will happen is that the, the scrap market will really start to take off and that might sort of put a cap on things. But for now, it really is the hot metal. So it's your, your chance, Laura, now to start singing us. You can have a choice of either Iron Maiden or Metallica. <laughs> Last week you tried to get me to do an Anne Partridge impression. I don't know what's happening here. Is, is someone putting you up to this? <laughs> so that's everything today. Um, so as Dan mentioned earlier, we're going to be doing a special general election podcast this week on Friday the 13th. Um, so if there's any particular things you want us to cover in that, then do email podcast at ajbell.co.uk. But otherwise, do listen in. And thanks a lot for listening. Thanks. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.